This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast, coming to you today with Rudy Reyes, conservationist and Marine veteran ambassador. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, okay. I have to tell you this story. Um, so we have a mutual friend and, and he's been talking about you for a while, kind of sharing the things that, that you're doing, um, uh, keeping me up to speed on things. And, um, he says to me, uh, just a few weeks ago, he's like, Hey, listen, you know, I think you should have Rudy on your podcast. And he's like, you know, remember my friend Rudy that I was telling you about recon Marine. And I was like, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I was like, if he's a recon Marine, like, yeah, I'll have him on like done. And, and so I've got an eight-year-old son and he's like, mom, there's this new show coming on and we have to watch it together. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And he's telling me all about this new show, special forces. And he pulls up on YouTube, like the trailer for it. Right. And he pulls up the trailer. And as soon as I saw Kate Goslin and reality and like special training, I was like, I'm in, I'll totally watch this with you. Bob. <laughs> yes. And we turn it on and I'm like, holy shit, that's Rudy as one of the instructors. So the first night that it aired, we watched the two hour uh, episode and I was dying because Kate Goslin like was out of the show in like 10 minutes, which no surprise. Yeah. I predicted she was the first one out and she was, but she didn't even last as long as I thought she would. It was very, uh, very interesting. She was falling out after the initial shock of capture. We had shock of capture on the train and you could tell she did not want to be there. She was falling out and we had our number. We had her number, Ryan. Uh, I, you know, and yeah, I got to tell you, like, she's one person um, I've watched. I watched John and Kate plus eight. Like I was a young mom. So I was watching that show and she's sure. crazy. And she's just, and so I saw her go out and I mean, literally you guys are running to where they're sleeping and she's already falling. And I'm like, oh my God. But that like, let's start. And there's so much I want to talk about. <laughs> I know. start with that show because, um, so concept for those that haven't seen it, and it's still airing, um, it's yes. what, Wednesday nights, right, on Fox? Wednesday nights at, I think, uh, 2000 at 8 o'clock uh, East Coast time. Um, and, and you know, just check local listings. Just get yeah. on Fox. You'll see. Just go to Times Square. You'll see us on there. <laughs> just go to Times Square, and you will see uh, Special Forces World's Toughest Test. But, yeah, we're easy to find. You can also get on Hulu. And if you miss the episode, you just catch it streaming whenever you'd like. So check it out on Hulu as well. Uh, it is a derivative of a show I've been doing in the UK for a few years now. Uh, it's SAS Who Dares Wins. And for my audience out there that may or may not know too much about the special operations community, SAS, the, the Brits' uh, original special operations force, 
a raider force. We model in America much of our selection and much of our culture from the SAS, SBS. It was a massive honor that they chose me, recon marine, uh, to come over as a chief instructor. And uh, I, t I take that honor very seriously. I represent our country. I represent recon. I represent the Marine Corps. And I give it everything I've got. And it's been very successful. I have a, a few seasons now coming out uh, in Viet that, that we shot in Vietnam, gnarly, hardcore, gnarly. I mean, the, the, the jungle's killing, trying to kill you. Um, some, some of the crew members were bitten by cobras. Uh, people are going down for anaphylactic shock just because of the heat and humidity. And we're running a course. It's not a reality show. What you're watching on Fox uh, Special Forces is not a reality show. We run the course, and that's that. And you see how it shakes out. We lose people very quickly. Yeah, so, you know, not a reality show, but you take a bunch of, and I, like, D-list celebrities through. <laughs> Wait a second. We've got, we've got Olympians. We've got oh, Olympian yes. gold well, medalists. I was going to say that. D-list celebrities like okay. the Lynn Spears and the Kate Goslings, right? And then you have. Okay. Yes. And you've got like Anthony Scaramucci and then, you know. Um... Man, you know what, Ryan? I've got something sad to share. Um, in the Marine Corps and in recon, uh, we are very, very close uh, spiritually and emotionally because we go through such hard, hard, hard training and combat together. And we're away from our families and away from any comfort for months and sometimes years at a time. And uh, we tend to not have duplicity or uh, layers of, um, of selfishness that regular people have. And I thought by sharing our experience as warriors, first of all, hats off to my British SAS brother, who's like the older brother, um, my older brother in my life now, his name is Billy Billingham. SAS Paris and then SAS 33 year career, POW twice, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Then we got SBS brother, Jason Fox, World Marine Commando and then SBS. Um, so freaking stout. After he got out of SBS, he rode from London to South America. I mean, all right. And then we have Navy SEAL, uh, my brother Remy Adelecki. Uh, an orphan from Nigeria that made himself somebody. We give this course, which I think is the uh, the most loving, most American, most free world uh, experience because we take away all comforts and niceties and strip these people down to who they really are. I thought that that is something very special. So I became friends after the course with some of the uh, celebrities and recruits. And one of, the, one of the celebrities later through the episodes show the celebrity in not such a great light because, again, we don't reshoot anything. We just run the course. Uh, there's no way to manufacture. We just run the course and it shakes out as it shakes out. And uh, I was accused of like being a uh, two-faced and, and – um, and taking for granted um, this person's friendship and 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 hospitality. 
And I could not understand that experience coming back to me when I believe I've given these people, every one of them, whether they make it to the first day or to the end, I've given them opportunity that it took the rest of the men up there on that freaking platform to go through blood, sweat, and tears and lose a piece of ourselves, lose our brothers, lose our wives, lose our families, lose our sanity. And here we are up there on this dais, on this stage, on the freaking parade square, giving these civilians an opportunity of a lifetime to walk in our boots. And, uh, and it kind of blew up in my face with one of these cats. And uh, wow, I, I, what a reminder that the military and service to include law enforcement and firefighting and uh, first responders, a service-driven community, uh, we are different. We are different than civilians. Yeah. And um, I want to create a dialogue between civilians, start working together as citizens. But sometimes I'm reminded there is a difference. Yeah, I, you know, one of the, the, the interesting things that I saw, and so, I, so I've been watching the show with my eight-year-old son. He loves it. And I told him <laughs> I was interviewing you today, and he asked if he could stay home from school. Um, oh, what a sweetie. I, I told him he could not, but, you know, uh, he, you are by far um, the most interesting guest that I've ever had on the show. Oh, thank you. My eight-year-old son, Travis. And, um, but, you know, one of the things that we would do, and, 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 and that's a real point, like you're giving civilians this opportunity to go through special, special forces training, right? Training yes. that you as a recon Marine went through. And if you haven't watched the show, it's like no joke. Like the first thing that, the first thing, and I say it kidding, like Kate Gosselin dropped out right away. Um, I mean, she, she, she hurt herself. I uh, do quotation marks. Um, but uh, you, you have them going out of a helicopter, but they have to do that like backwards roll where they, they, you know, you have to really have the mentality to let your body take it yourself backwards, which I'm sitting there analyzing every single thing. And all you're asking them to do is try it. So if they can't execute the the job, they, they're not out. And what I found fascinating as I was watching it is, you know, again, I don't know if mentally I, when I was watching them propel out of the helicopter, I'm like, I don't know if my mind would have been prepared to let me fall backwards, right? And to do that maneuver. But I would have tried but what I found so interesting, it was in, I don't know if it was that episode or the second episode, it was, and I can't remember the guy, if he was a baseball player, but it was when you they were rappelling um, from one mountain to another and you had the two ropes. And- the Postman's walk. Yeah. The, the postman's walk. walk. The postman's walk. And, um, and the one guy is like, I'm not doing it. He's like, I'm just- Oh, he was the chef. The he chef, was the yeah. chef that on his interview said, well, you know, cooking at, at Michelin level and running a kitchen is is a lot like being a special operations professional or something like that. And he didn't even give it a try. And, you know, uh, Ryan, I respect every one of those civilians that got out there with no initial boot camp imprinting. Like, you know, in, in Marine Corps boot camp, the, the word we use – uh, as yes and affirmative is kill. So off jump, it's kill. And we are conditioned, completely separated for three months and conditioned. And then we're layered upon and layered upon to do this. These civilians, even the athletes and their magnificent um, 
a a sport and a game has a start and a finish a a battle or a war can last for decades and so that sense of scope is very very different so i applaud them all um a couple of standouts uh was for me first is kenya moore the black lady the mean lady from um from real housewives of atlanta i have to tell you she was she was all in it was lovely to work with her she's not necessarily young she's beautiful she's 51 and we are thrashing her in the desert and that backward dive that is a test what they call in the uk a bottle test like you got enough spirit in you bottle are you tough you know i we demonstrate everything And, and when you watch the show out there you notice the DS, we, uh, the directing staff, we demonstrate everything and show you how to do it and show, show you it's possible. Um, she executed everything. And when it came to the red man, I'm the red man, I'm the fighter. And I have, I have them fight through me. And of course the men, I fight very, very hard and meet force with force. The women, I give them some force and then let them work through me. She came at me like a freaking hellion. And, uh, and so we find out she's from Detroit she had a real hard upbringing and she's made herself into, you know, a, a multimillionaire with her business. And now she's a mother and she's been through a battered relationship. She's been a battered woman. And she came out on that course and let it all hang out. And I said to her, what I know about you, uh, Kenya, is that uh, you, you're backstabbing, you're cruel. You're undercutting. You're hurtful to other women. You're a bully of the show. Well, that is so different than the, the recruit I am experiencing on this course. Can you tell me about it? And she said, well, that's what I had to do. That's what I had to do. I was abandoned. I was given up. Uh, I had to fight and claw for everything I had. And, and that's what I had to do. But I don't want to do that no more. I want to be a mother to my child and show my child how to be. Anyway, really compelling stuff as a human being, very compelling. Yeah. I, and and I'm a I'm a big Real Housewives fan. So <laughs> I, I know the Atlanta season. And yeah, she was the villain. Um, but I would have never doubted that she would have been one of the toughest people there because you just kind of saw that in her. Um, but if you haven't seen the show, go and watch, watch the show. Yeah, it's 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 good. It's good TV. And there's not a it lot is of- good TV. Yes. Uh, Ryan, it's number one in the space. It's number one. I mean, this is so wonderful. We had a big party at, at one of my NFLers uh, house for the first episode and friends, family, you know, pro athletes, everybody's cheering me. And I've been in the entertainment business 12 years and this business will hurt your feelings. All right. And I've had many projects that were magnificent that went nowhere. Uh, so I smiled and I was happy for everybody being happy for me. But I did not count my blessing or I didn't count my chickens before uh, before they hatched. Who knows? Maybe it tanked in the ratings. Who knows? Needless to say, later in the week, number one uh, show ever streamed. Number one in the ratings. We're doing freaking great. We're go. I'm sure we're going to multiple seasons after this. Fox is stoked. Uh, really, really wonderful. And it all started from the UK SAS Who Dares Wins, which uh, ha- by happenstance, I did a documentary, a heavy documentary, a UK documentary called 
once upon a time in Iraq. And it's six, seven different people involved in the Iraq war. Me as a commando, a, a, uh, an Iraqi soldier, a officer, a doctor, a refugee. And it's called Once Upon a Time in Iraq. It won the BAFTA. It won the Oscar for Best Documentary in the UK. And because of that, uh, the the audience and the people out there in the UK said, we want Rudy Reyes. And when they brought me over there, it, it exploded. And then Fox picked us up. So uh, my advice to any of the veterans, and uh, all, all of my, my veteran family out there, whatever you're doing to uh, live your dream, or, or pursue your passion, it will take longer than you expect, but never give up. Stay in the fight and it will come true. I love that. And, you know, to see what you're doing today, it's it's very cool. And, and again, anything that brings a positive light to our military community, I'm all for um, and, and cheering from the sidelines. But, you know, some of the things I learned when um, researching you, Rudy, was I was I was astonished by your upbringing and kind of the hard road that you had to follow to uh, get where you are today. You know, you were, you were born yeah. to, uh, a Vietnam veteran, Marine, um, your young mother um, ended up being raised for a short time by your grandparents and then um, went into kind of the system, right? Yeah. In and out of the system and in and out of this person or that person's hands. And um ultimately I had to take care of myself and I had two little brothers and I was so inspired to protect them because myself as the oldest had already been at the spearhead of abuse and neglect. And I was seeing some of the abuse and neglect coming to my brothers too. And I, I mean, we all had worms. We all had lice. Uh, you know, my little brother, Michael, he was, you know, six at the time. He's, says, uh, you know, Woody, he couldn't say ours very well back then. Woody, Woody, I've got snakes. There's snakes in the toilet. It was freaking worms. And we all had worms. And, um, and we had to shave our heads because we couldn't afford to go to the, you know, to a barber or whatever. So we shaved our heads to get rid of the lice. And, um, and it was rough and it was, it was very, very tough. And, um, for an American, it was tough. Um, I do preface it with, having that chip on my shoulder from really coming from poverty and neglect and abuse, I, it, it gave me a competitive spirit early on and it was honed in sport and then honed in martial art. And then really it bloomed in the Marine Corps. I started fighting in the Middle East and then doing work, counterterrorism in Africa and working in the Far East I recognized that uh, when I saw those poor children who uh, who have a very good chance of being murdered um, and uh, and the environment I grew up in on the streets and in the boys home was competitive and violent and I was abused. I, but at least I had an opportunity to improve my wrestling and get into sport and lift weights and eat food to make myself stronger and to repel the enemy's assault the next time the big boy came to my freaking room in the middle of the night. When I went and spent time with these people around the world that, um, that even our poorest here would seem rich to them, 
it softened me and it gave me a, a bigger perspective. And, um, and I, I think that's why sometimes I have a difficult time with where our country is at now. Um, there is so much taken for granted and uh, there's so much uh, political and social critique when these people don't even know what life is about. And they definitely don't know how easy it is to be taken from you, you know? I'll, I'll never forget the, one of the things we do through the Travis Manion Foundation is um, service expeditions. We take families of fallen service members all, all across the world to give back, um, honor our loved ones by giving yes. back in service to others. And um, we had been going to Guatemala for a few years and mm -hmm. somebody had suggested like, Ryan, why don't you go? You should, you should experience what mm -hmm. the, our families are experiencing. And um, we went to Guatemala and we were in a very um, San Ramundo, um, very like we were in the jungle. We were in a very trash yes. village in Guatemala about, it was a couple hours away from Guatemala city. And I had never ever experienced poverty in, in what I saw. And it was mm -hmm. day, that word perspective. Like it was, you know, you think you know it until you're actually just in it. And we were building a house. And when I say house, it was literally like a Lincoln log house, no electricity, no running water, but it was a roof over the head for a family with, you know, five to five or six kids. Um, and we couldn't even communicate with these people because their language was again, so tribal that you couldn't, yes. our Spanish speaking individuals were having trouble communicating with them. But currently where they were living, um, it was in the woods and they were in the jungle and they were under a blue tarp. They had a blue tarp. Literally, that was it. A blue tarp to shield them from the rain. The woman walked up and and on the last day when their house was being built, they were all crying. And oh, she, she, we placed pictures of our loved ones and we had built a shelf and we all had a little framed pictures of our loved ones and we put them up on the shelf. And we kind of broke down that language barrier where they understood like, this is why this house was built because these men and women um, died protecting us and, and we want to give back to you. But I came back and, and I've since gone on. I just got back from Puerto Rico last week doing a similar uh, service trip. Every time I come back, I almost have anger towards the opportunity that is here in America and is not taken advantage of. You know, it's like, yes. it's like deep. Yes. Like, what are you guys all complaining about? You don't even have understand, you know? Yes. Yes. I, I was just two months in Vietnam and I being the only American on the program, the only American there, I had to do some cultural uh, research and I had to take some classes because, you know, the communist Vietnam still um, may have issues with us. Right. I have to tell you what, those people were the warmest, happiest people. They were so loving and embracing of me. They called me Rambo. They loved spending time with me. I, I, I led some workouts too uh, when I wasn't filming. And uh, still you're seeing the 50 and 60 year old women in the rice paddies carrying, you know, 50, 70, 100 pounds of rice on their back or pulling the water buffalo and, and working the fields. And you see children 
helping their parents. I saw some children helping uh, their uh, their elder skinning a freaking snake to eat. And all of the children laughing and smiling. I saw a six-year-old girl that had the opportunity to have a bicycle that was way too big for her. And she wore these like flip-flops with like extra, uh, another flip-flop glued to it so she could reach the pedals. And she's going for it. These people would do anything to be here. And and the production people on, on the Vietnamese side of the house, um, they, they wish they could come back with me and pursue their dreams. They can only work this job for so long as the party says they can work it. And, and here we have in this wonderful country, every opportunity in the world to be who we want to be. And it seems that as of late, it's being squandered. Um, and it is hard for me to, to sit with. Uh, I live in the South now. I do not live in LA. I do not live in New York City. I do not live in Miami. Um, I do not live in Dallas. I don't live in Austin. I don't live in the hubs and the film business hubs and all of that. I live in South Carolina and, uh, and there's American flags down my neighbors, uh, down the street within all my neighbor's houses and I'm insulated and it, and is it fancy here? No. Uh, do we have some rad restaurants and stuff? No. Um, it, it's uh, in some places pretty poor. However, these people are Americans and, and um, they're, kind and loving people and they're the people that i remember fighting for so that's why i'm here yeah yeah i i think you know that that's something else that that i always recall when i go on these service trips is that when you see these kids in these poor environments they're probably the happiest kids you ever saw and yes you and notice it's, it's the craziest thing they 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 walk around with the hugest smiles on their face and I brought a camera last time when I was in Guatemala, I brought a, somebody had recommended that I bring a Polaroid camera. And so I brought one, I loaded it on film and my family, I started taking pictures of the kids and I was handing them their pictures and they were flipping out because I bet they get a picture of themselves smiling. Well, yeah. And not only that, they were saying some of these kids don't even know what they look like. They don't go to school. They're, yeah, like, there's no mirror they mirrors. They're like, oh, my God, this is a picture of me. Next thing you know, I mean, word spread around the village like wildfire. I had like a line 70 deep of all these little kids that just and thank God I brought extra. Oh. But that was one of the coolest things I did was take those Polaroid pictures. Yes. It, it was very cool. Yes, it's yeah. very powerful. Think about what you you're expressing to these little ones, a sense of self for the first time in their lives to be objective about themselves and see themselves um, with a secondary a tertiary viewpoint. And wow, this is me now, but who do I want to be? This is really powerful stuff. And then we here in America really take it for granted. Uh, we have opportunity for education and literacy and, um, and clean water and clean streets that many places in the world do not have. Uh, we are free to criticize, um, you know, government or uh, criticize policy, um, to criticize uh, um, theology and, and, um, and ways of thinking. And we don't have secret police that come and, and, and uh, disappear us, never to be found again. We have so much here, yet the, for some reason, maybe we've been so successful for so long, 
we are now looking for a war to fight amongst each other. You know, it's very, very interesting. I believe I'm doing the best I can with special forces and with with SAS Who Dares Wins. I also am the co-founder of Force Blue. So I rebuild coral reefs and do ocean conservation with other commandos like myself from all forces. And we bring in Gold Star families and teach their children to do ocean conservation and make them divers as well. I'm doing my best. I do not do Twitter. I have a small Instagram. I guess it's pretty big, but I'm just myself. And I stay above the fray from all of that um, petty, uh, uh, that, that petty adolescent narcissism that has gripped our entire country. And uh, I've seen men and women, 19, 20 years old, uh, manning machine guns and uh, crossing uh, a line of departure with no idea when they will come home and fighting forward. I have seen men and women heroes. And to think we have people now in our middle age in this country that are stuck as adolescents pointing fingers. Um, so uh, it's hard for me to deal with. So I just keep giving more. I just keep giving more. Keep giving more. And, you know, so you, you, you leave the Marine Corps and you kind of step into the entertainment industry. And I'll tell you, it was, it was funny this morning when I was telling my year old son that I was interviewing you and I said, Oh, Rudy Reyes. And I said, you know, I said, Travis, guess who I'm interviewing? And when I said your name, it didn't click with him right away. And I said, no, Rudy from special forces, one of the instructors. Oh, wow. He said, he said, Oh yeah. And, and my husband looks at me and he goes, Ryan, He's not Rudy from Special Forces. He's Rudy from Generation Kill. They should kill. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I was right. Like, yeah. And and I honestly was like, I don't, I don't know what that is, you know. But right away, yeah, he's like, stop saying Special Forces. He's from Generation Kill. Yeah. And have so, you seen it yet? I have, have not you seen Generation Kill. I have not. All of all of the Marine, all the Marine Corps, all of the Marine Corps for the last twenty five years. That is our stamp of our culture, uh, message to Garcia, getting an order, we're going to cut the head off the snake. We don't even know what it looks like. And we're doing regime change, baby. Saddam, you're going down. We don't know how we're going to do it. You don't have to tell us how we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. And it's the funniest and most savage and honest portrayal of modern combat. And that is why our brothers... Uh, of all forces, especially America, actually, and UK as well. Oh my gosh, a recon brother of mine that runs Combat Dive School. He is in Sweden for this massive freaking Combat Dive Symposium of all of our special forces. Uh, uh, a Canadian uh, EOD diver. I'm his hero and I, I inspired him to join. It's just amazing that my humble step forward into service because we were fighting in Kosovo and I felt I had to do my part. I was relatively uh, pacifist. Um, I'd never used guns because I come from the street and I seen what guns do. I come from hard, hard streets and I was a martial artist and in fighting in martial arts and fighting in competition, there are rules and I am not going to kill you and you're not going to kill me. Uh, there is there, there are boundaries, and, and, and I forged my character with what is right and what is wrong. I stepped into the Marine Corps 
to have those boundaries moved very far left and right uh, because I'm fighting for something so freaking big that now I have to kill. I'm a scout sniper as well. And initially how hard it was for me to even see film of real world missions of enemies heads being blown apart and ripped apart and, and, and studying film for deflection. And here I am a Lance Corporal 1999 in Quantico going through these hard schools and, you know, it's a little sad. And however, the conditioning, the training, and then we were in the Persian Gulf when the towers were hit. So we went straight into fight to Pakistan and Afghanistan. The love for country and core, the love for the unit supersedes your emotional uh, well-being and safety. The love and passion for something greater uh, supersedes your individual um, your individual life. And uh, it, talk about expanding your consciousness. No wonder we had struggles. All of us have struggles afterwards to be expanded that far. And even when doing the right thing, still civilian casualties or or uh, or economic implosion in which you keep going back to fight over and over and you can't seem to make a difference. Uh, these are the things that, you know, we all will carry with us the rest of our lives. And some of us just become hard. And I was hard for a while. And then but that was not then that started falling apart. So I just supplemented it with drugs and alcohol and, um, and work. I just thought, okay, I'll outwork this and I'll, I'll out drug it. I'll out drink it. I'll out fight it. Well, that didn't work either. Um, and, uh, you know, I was supposed to child best and brightest. And even I fell apart after I was a TV star. So everybody would imagine that was a modicum of success and fame that would cure it. It did, it did not. None of it mattered because I was uh, I had nothing that I was living for that was that was grand and deep and honorable and uh, something that could fill the void that had been created by a combat sacrifice, love and loss, because that's what combat is. It's all those things, you know, and until uh, until I started Force Blue, then I, I got clean and then I met my my soon-to-be wife, my fiance Jade, and then all of a sudden my career comes back. It wasn't until I created something because I couldn't find anything. I was a contractor. I was a counter-terror guy. I had the raddest dudes on my team. I had the muscles. I had the guns. I had the know-how and license to kill. That didn't. That didn't. You know, that didn't fill up that void either. It wasn't until Force Blue and Force Blue, um, you know, betterment, buoyancy, and belonging brought me back to who I really am. And, and now, man, you just can't hold me back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, interestingly enough, you touched on like a little bit of the, the trauma that you dealt with, the love and the loss um, while serving, um, losing your brothers out there. And, and I'll say there's so many, you know, you asked, did you watch Generation Kill? I didn't because for me, it's still too raw for me to watch things like I understand. I don't watch uh, war films from that any of that era. It's too personal. <laughs> if I see the sand or I hear the things, I go back. I did the damn film. It's a miniseries. I, in a sense, was cathartically worked. I had just been out of Fallujah a couple years before and fighting in Fallujah and Ramadi, gnarly, 
gnarly as fuck. And, um, and I was almost happy that I could be of service on this set, that someone would care what we've been through. Uh, but later when it came out, watching it was too much. So I don't think I've seen the whole thing. <laughs> And and it's funny you say this generation, like I can watch Band of Brothers. I've watched yes. any movie. The Pacific. Yeah. The Pacific. All, all of that, I, no problem. But if it is if it is something regarding the current conflict, like I, what was the, um, gosh, what was the one movie that came out very early on with Jeremy Renner? Um, the Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. So I, I remember watching, turning that movie on, and I got about halfway through and I'm like, I'm just not ready for this. And and yes. I still feel that way. I'm like, I I don't need to expose myself to these things, which, you know, I wasn't I wasn't serving, but I experienced the trauma of my brother coming home in a flag draped casket. And so for That's me, right. I don't need to watch what happened, you know, in theater with all of you guys. And you know, you know, it, Ryan. You all, all of our family members and loved ones, you all are the hidden veteran. You're the hidden veterans. Uh, yes, uh, you know, holy smokes. I, I uh, was married before. Um, it devastated my ex-wife over and over me going to fight and me coming back bigger, stronger, more dangerous more responsibility and less and less her husband, less and less a human being. Um, my little brother, um, I guess once I started drinking and doing hard drugs, I used to fight a lot. And he said, you're not my brother. You, I don't know who you are. You're not my brother. And you know, back then I would just say, fuck all of you. You don't know any fucking thing. Fuck you, you're weak. It's, it's just, uh, it's immense. And how do you even express it? It takes so much energy and time to untangle it and keep the good stuff, but absolutely throw the bad stuff away. It takes 10 years, at least it takes 10 years. Uh, and I used to think it was just me that was having problems. So I never shared it. I only, I just medicated myself or kept getting stuck in with some work whether now, it's a, let me ask whether you, let me ask yeah, you go you ahead you thought it was just you did yeah. you also feel like you're going on these deployments you're coming back bigger better stronger you know more of a marine's marine did you ever feel almost ashamed to express that you were that you were suffering mentally did you feel that stigma of saying i don't want to tell people that i'm dealing with some shit you know, um, my ex-wife was having a having an affair my first fucking four years in because I was such a freaking Rudy Recon. I was in school after school and schooled out and training packages and meritoriously promoted. I was so into it. I was not home. And I wasn't home really except, and I thought, hey, all of my jump, dive, danger pay, all my money goes home. I When I see uh, my ex-wife every few months, um, I'm freaking fit. I'm happy. I get to see her for four days. What more could you want? <laughs> right? I didn't understand anything, really. 
except I was a young, strong Marine with great people who I admired and I wanted to be like them. And, uh, and so slowly but surely, I just became colder to the humanities. When you, when you have to uh, help, when you go into a village where, where they think because you're a medic and you, and you have these magical abilities to help these people that have, uh, have DNA damage from, uh, from radiation and they're all albinos and mentally retarded and they think we can help them with our medic packs. When you, uh, when, when in the cover of darkness, vehicles are coming through your lines and you put out your signs out there, turn away, turn away, and they come through and you smoke all those people and then you find out they can't read. These are the things that you're dealing with. And, and then, of course, the, the good times are when you're killing the enemy and your, you know, your missions are shit hot and it's just so elevated. I'm thinking back now, I, I, don't know, I might be scared to do some of the stuff I did back then. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, let's hold, hold a bit. Let's think about this, how we could do this maybe a little bit safer. Um, it just it just skews um, your vision on life. And uh and I didn't notice that I was having real mental problems until I was no longer working, like for one week. Uh, I was successful as a coach and trainer, and then I was doing Generation Kill, which is a year and a half process. And then I was doing some survival stuff, and then I had a lull. All of a sudden, I felt so absolutely lonely, and I kept, couldn't sleep, and I used to work out all the time, like six, seven hours a day in hope that I would be exhausted enough to sleep at night. And I was obsessed with readiness. I always had weapons. I was always training. I was obsessed with readiness. I was holding on to readiness as, as my savior because I was so scared to death of this world. I went to the VA. Of course, all they did is give me medication. I tried it for a couple of days, freaked out, said none of that, um, and tried counseling. There was no counseling back then. Not that anybody knows what to say anyway. Um, I think we have found in our community being back together and sharing each other's testimonies and uh, the basics, um, you know, getting clean and sober, uh, physical fitness, um, a purpose uh, that's, evol that's involving God and family, and then a job. You get those four pillars and you can do, you can do anything, uh, but we need each other to express that and work. Uh, together to do that um b big government doesn't seem to be doing a very good job and did you turn to any of your friends that you had served with at the time to say hey i'm struggling yes but so all, so we just got a lot more cocaine and vodka and then everybody was fine <laughs> yeah oh, you know oh, oh what you're, you're feeling down don't worry don't let them chop up some lines and we'll be fine Next thing you know, there's six of us freaking commandos in one room for three days. And then on the third day, we're all crying and rinse and repeat for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You, you, you say purpose, job. What were the other two? Spirituality, God, yeah. family, the, a then, connection, a hierarchy. And then getting clean. But yeah. What was the first step that went from you in the room with a bunch of commandos snorting lines of coke to shit, I got to get help? 
Like I, something has to give, like, you're not, did you wake up one day and just say, I'm done. I made such an absolute train wreck of my life <laughs> for about eight years and still made it look good, I guess. So it was, I was very lucky. I never went to jail for my street fights. I was very lucky. I never got busted drinking and driving and, and, uh, and, or with drugs. Um, I was very lucky that somehow I kept my physique together so I could still work. Um, but eventually, uh, I had a little baby son. I have uh, my son, my little son, um, and I won't say his name to protect the family and stuff, but by the way, it's going great now. I just got to FaceTime with him for the first time in five years for Christmas. And now with, uh, you know, I take care of child support and sports and, and I have dialogue, but he was taken from me because I was not well, not fit and dangerous. And I went to court, uh, spent a lot of money, lost a lot of work, had a restraining order out on me. And, you know, I think it's very important for me to express these things because there's a lot of brothers and sisters that are going through this, but and no one's really talking about it. And they think it's just them. It's not just you. It's all of us. Uh, me going to court and sometimes still blitzed, but with my suit on and just raging. And then finally, it's sinking in that I can't see my son until I do a year's worth of therapy and that I have to pay for. And I'm flying back and forth to St. Louis for court. And I was just at rock bottom. And I was, I was very close to taking my life. Uh, I just thought, man, Rudy used to be somebody and now you're nothing. And, and you were raised without a father and without a family. And now you're not there for your son. My whole world came crashing down. I'd been up for a few days. I would just, and you know, um, I, I never, I never even drank alcohol till I was 37 years old. I didn't do drugs till I was 38. Um, I'd been uh, driven and clean. Uh, I'd been a straight edge um, idealist my whole life. That's probably why I've aged really well. I'm, I'm 51 years old and um, I've aged really well because of such a long life of discipline. Well, when you stop not caring about yourself and, 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 and believing that you have no place in the world, all that goes away. Um, I had my pistol and I always had weapons and, um, and I was starting to think, well, I'm just going to kill myself. I think I've had enough. I mean, I'm useless. And as I looked at my pistol, I just felt this force, this God's like force and voice, not in words, but I had this feeling there must be something more for you or there's no way you could be here now because it's a miracle you're here. So just put the gun down. We're going to make it somehow. Like God's voice saying, we're going to make it somehow. Just have patience or, or just know that we're going to make it. Boom, got on the phone, called my little brother Caesar, told him to take the guns out of the house, um, threw away the drugs, uh, started getting clean and sober that day, of course, working out over a, a few weeks of, of, of improvement and passion. Um, I started making some moves and, uh, and then force blue uh, started manifesting. I said, okay, if there's nothing for me to put my skills of war into to do things uh, to, to be a weapon of mass construction instead of a weapon of mass destruction, then I'll make something. Called my friends, called Roger Sparks, legend, recondo, and uh, pararescue um, 
a pararescue man, highest decorated man of all time. Uh, uh, my SEAL brother, Jeff Reeves, some recon dudes. I call my friends. I said, what do you think of this idea? My man, Jim Ritteroff, uh, filmmaker, um, BFF through my recovery road and diver. He said, okay, let's get something together. I know a little bit about business. And I said, I know freaking diving. I know my, uh, I know what I can do with my people. We created it. Now I, I really feel like I have a reason to live. Um, and that's how it started snowballing. That's how, you know, now we're, we're um, sponsored by the NFL and Pepsi. You'll see us at the Super Bowl every year. And now we're teaching children of the fallen. It is just profound what one small step forward into real grace and, and real purpose. You'll, you'll be amazed. There's so many people waiting for you. Uh, so many people and so many opportunities waiting for you. And that's how it all started. So it was that moment of epiphany almost. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They took my, my baby was gone. Yeah. My little son was gone and it was, uh, and I raised him. By the way, I was in a mental institution for a whole year too. Clean and sober living, freaking uh, uh, AA or, you know, freaking anonymous times a million of everything. That didn't help either. Matter of fact, you know what? I think the first Travis Mannion run in San Diego, maybe it's 2011 or 12. It might've been the second run. I got a special pass from the Veterans Village of San Diego to go run. And- um, it might have been 2012. It was 2012. I was smoking tons. You, then you were there. I was smoking tons of cigarettes because I was losing my mind with a, a bunch of deadbeats in this veteran program. No warriors, no freak. It was all criminals and all drug addicts and prostitutes. And I'm in here with general population of some really heinous people. And I say, Rudy, you're not going to quit this. You're going to take it the whole year. And then I got a pass to go to that run. And uh, um, I won number one in 40 over. And everybody said, no fucking way. This guy ain't 40. I went up there. Wow. You know what I mean? I got the medal. And I'll send you some pictures of it. Uh, and the t-shirt and everything. And then, and then a couple of my Rico brothers, so they're like, Frankie, they're awesome. How's it going? Hey, we're going to go out and have some beers. I'm like, <laughs> I got to go to the bed and go to San Diego. They're like, are you working there? And I said, no, I'm a patient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, 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 was, it gave me a, uh, some freaking burst of, of, of happiness and light. Yeah. Like getting back to my community. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I just, I guess something inside of me was it dna is it is it passion i is it the men that i always looked up to in recon and my kung fu teacher is it my comic book superheroes i have all my comic books is it that something that made me keep trying even if just a little bit uh maybe it is but i do know there was a time when i was ready to end it all and i used to think this will never happen to special operations we are too smart for this we're too uh successful and highly trained now we're seeing people in the special operations community taking their lives so the message of force blue uh, betterment buoyancy and belonging is is needed now more than ever yeah i mean i i think you see that so much it's it's actually almost elevated for those in the special operations because the pressure cooker that they were under while serving is yes. so intense and then they leave yes. and listen 
we talk about it every day at Travis Manning Foundation. Like when when men and women take off that uniform and and it, you hear it almost in like, oh, they lost their sense of purpose and we want to give sense of purpose back. And it almost seems like trite in the way you're saying it, but it, it could yeah. be more true. And this idea that like, it's not just their sense of purpose, it's their their sense of purpose that existed in the military was their identity. And that is absolutely, it's completely gone. So absolutely, um, absolutely. You know what? I still struggle, Ryan. Now I'm struggling now, like, um, like to read, I have to wear my reading glasses now. Right. And, uh, and I have to, um, I have to train different now. I, I'm not the same freaking warrior. I was at 25 at 35. Um, I am having to accept that the identity of being the stellar, uh, you know, hard to kill juggernaut of recon, the juggernaut. And if you find out from some of my community members, you know, I was respected as the fastest, the strongest, the best fighter, the the most endurance and the, and the greatest attitude, positive attitude, that that identity uh, is no longer fitting with my life. And that's been a big shift for me just in the last couple of years. Uh, I'm a family man now. My, my life revolves around the home and the hearth and how do I protect and provide and how am I there for my mate. Jade has been incredibly healing for me and a mirror. She's been a mirror to everything that I put aside and never wanted to deal with and everything that I have missed, missed through my arrested development and my hardness and coldness necessary for recon. Everything that I was missing, she's a mirror for. And, um, and I hold her tight and I hold, her like, I hold on to her like gold for that reason. This is the new Rudy Reyes. Recon is the greatest thing I've ever done. And being a team leader is the most honorable thing I've ever done for my country. But now I'm, now I'm on a new mission for my family. And then eventually I'm going to get to me. Yeah. Eventually I'm going to get to me. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm looking right over to the, the left of me. I see Travis's recon paddle and like, that's a part of who you are, but yeah. it can't be everything. Right. And I think that yeah. sometimes it's hard for um, these men and women that to find is like, it. it's a part of you, but it's, it, it can't be all of you because you're not going to make well it said. the civilian world if it is, you know? It just isn't. Well said. And and think about this, Ryan. Uh, anthropologically, um, men at my age that went through so much combat, warriors at my age, by the time they were my age, first of all, very few were my age. Most all of them died in their 20s and 30s, some in their teens. And those that were my age, anthropologically, just a few hundred years ago, we were kings or warlords. <laughs> and a thousand years ago, we were it was the Genghis. It was it was the Caesar. Um, you know, um, it was uh, it was the conquestors, the conquistadors. And that way of living is not healthy for the world we live in now. Am I just gonna am I just gonna slaughter anybody that that disagrees with me and just take what they've got? Or am I going to smash through my life, you know, um, metaphorically like a conquistador and damage everything uh, to go forward and not care about what's left on the wakes? I've already done that. And that's not the way. That's not the way. 
uh, take the best parts of discipline and honor we got from the military and now shape it into a way that you can live a life that uh, is fulfilling and uplifting to those around you. That's what I'm doing my best at. I love it. So Rudy, I always end up at every conversation um, talking a little bit about resilience and mm-hmm. if you look at, at your life path, um, it's it's pretty easy to see that uh, I don't know how much you study resilience, but you live a resilient life. Um, how does resiliency show up for you every day? You know, uh, I get up with uh, arthritis and some damage from uh, living a life of extremity. Um, and uh, I take time on the bed, moving my my hips and my knees so that I can roll out to my feet on the floor. And when I stand up, I say, I get to do this today. Not, wow, I used to be somebody that was such a bad motherfucker. And now I'm getting old. I say, I get to do this today. So I approach my, my, my day, my tasks, my family, is that it's a privilege to do this today. And I think with that attitude, we can all um, get a little bit more juice out of the squeeze of life. Um, I also, I also watch really emotional movies and stuff like that. And I cry feeling these feelings that I've never allowed myself to feel before. I'm watching Ted Lasso. Uh, I had no idea it was such a good film or a series. And the guy is a, a consummate optimist. Reminds me a lot of myself. And he's going through struggles with his family. And because he's such a good, good man. A lot of people hate him in the beginning because nobody can have that much love in their heart, right? Well, that's not true. We can. And you know what? Love in our heart makes us resilient. Yeah. Perspective too. And um, yes, it does. Clearly wake up uh, with a little arthritis, but good perspective. And that's what it's all about. That's right. Yeah. You said it well. Yeah. Rudy, thank you so much for joining us. This is welcome. Um, I'll be seeing you on my screen next Wednesday watching you again with my eight-year-old son. Thanks for all you continue to do. Thanks for sharing your story. I know it's going to resonate with a lot of our audience and uh, I appreciate you being on The Resilient Life. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And I'll be on here again with you or um, I'll have you on my podcast when I create one. Okay, that's that's a plan. That's a plan. <laughs>